Welcome to Parenting Bites. This is Rebecca Levy. I'm here today with Amy Oztan of Amy Ever After. Hi. Hello, and Andrea Smith, our technology guru extraordinaire. Hello. Hello. Uh, today on the show, we thought we would do another episode for our college admission series since everything in the world has changed. We are going to be joined by Christopher Rim, the CEO and founder of Command Education. He is going to help us understand what COVID means for the college admissions process, how you can not freak out and just plan accordingly. It's not going to be the same college admissions it always was, but that's okay. There's lots of ways to figure out your list, tour schools, help your kid. We've got it covered today. And so we will be right back with Christopher. We are back with Christopher Rim, founder and CEO of Command Education. Hi, Christopher. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks so much for having me. You know, um, we've done a few of these podcasts now about the college admissions process, and we've covered financial aid. We've covered a whole bunch of things, and we thought we were all set and giving parents all the advice they needed. And then, lo and behold, um, a pandemic strikes. (laughs) And... Everything seems to just have been blown up from, you know, standardized testing to how kids are going to tour schools to what their GPAs might look like because they had no semester last semester. And I we thought we need to have someone come on because this is a whole new thing for parents who, you know, might have been diligently working on these things for the last two, three years and now have to put totally fresh eyes on this process. So... What's going on? <laughs> what can we tell parents so they don't freak out? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing is really understanding that uh, your child is not the only one in this unique circumstance. You know, I've been hearing from dozens and dozens of parents that their child's extracurriculars have been canceled or sports um, obviously have been canceled. And they're, they're not sure what to do if a child was maybe... Um, wanting to be recruited for sports, and now they missed that opportunity. Um, what are different ways to get in contact with coaches? So there's a lot of different things um, students are going through right now, and colleges do understand this. But that doesn't mean not really utilizing this time um, and really taking advantage of it. So I would really think that students should figure out how they want to utilize the summer if their internships were canceled um, or their research projects um, have been delayed and pushed back into the fall. So I think really taking advantage of this time is going to be really the best piece of advice I have for students and really understanding that you're not the only ones that are going through this as well. You know, it's interesting um, because my daughters are graduating seniors. So it was just two years ago that we kind of started this process a little bit in earnest because the summer before their junior year is when they started doing some SAT prep. That was sort of just the first step because they knew they wanted to take it in the fall. And I... I feel for these kids right now who don't know what their standardized test plan. I mean, I just heard from a friend today who said that all the ACT test dates were already booked because everyone who was delayed from the spring just automatically booked into the summer. And now kids who thought that was going to be their plan can't even find a testing site. Where do you think people should even start with and will they even need the standardized tests? I mean, I guess that's another thing going on with all these schools going test optional. For sure. So I I just want to um, clarify what test optional actually means, because I think a lot of schools are using this more as a marketing tool rather than Mm -hmm. actually trying to help students. Because if you say a test is optional, 
Some students obviously will take it, some students won't. But let's say if you're from a competitive public school or private school, and you have classmates who have taken the exams, maybe freshman year or sophomore year, and scored near perfect or even perfect on these exams, and you're applying to the same schools. And let's say you have similar backgrounds, similar GPA, similar extracurriculars and so forth, but one student has the test and has really great scores and you don't, and you apply to the same college, which student is more likely to get accepted? It's most likely going to be that student who's taken the test and scored um, perfect or near perfect. So if you're aiming for top, top schools, even if they're saying that the tests are optional, they're really not because you're being compared against your classmates and other students within your community. So you do want to keep that in mind. However, there are some schools that are saying that they're going test blind. This is really where it won't necessarily matter whether or not you take the test because the schools won't even consider it. So two of the top schools that have announced that they're going test blind for the SAT subject test are Yale and MIT. So for them, even if you submit your scores for like the subject test, they're not going to consider it with while evaluating your application. So it's not going to matter. So that's just for the subject test, right? Like I think people... Correct. Um, right, because I don't think... I, I just know from my experience, we live in New York, right? So everyone's taking every test that's possibly available. They just, that's what we do yep. in New York. We're crazy. But I had relatives in other parts of the country who had never even heard of the SAT subject test. Um, their kids did not need that. They were applying to state schools. Um, they thought we were bananas. They thought we were like making it up. They thought we were confusing it with AP exams. <laughs> like they didn't know what we were talking about. <laughs> yep. Um, so the SAT subject tests are really a very supplemental thing that just the some of the very, very top schools um, require, right? I mean, it's something that has fallen out of favor a little bit. In a sense, yes. But I also, like, just through our work, when we were helping students get into, like, Ivy League and, like, top 15, top 20 schools, we definitely noticed students who've taken the subject test have a much, much better chance of getting accepted. And mm -hmm. it's because subject tests are a great indicator for these colleges to see whether or not students can handle college level work. You know, it's a one hour subject specific exam. And I've heard numerous admissions officers mention how important subject tests are. But yes, they might have always been optional. We're seeing uh, schools dropping their requirements. A few years ago, Georgetown, for example, required that all applicants take three subject tests. Now that's been dropped a few years ago to two subject tests. Um, and it's not necessarily because Georgetown is putting less of an emphasis on these subject tests, for example, but it's because they want more applicants. If they restrict and make the application so difficult that students can't even apply, their admission rates and admission right. numbers are not going to look so great. So the more applicants they have, the better it's going to be for them because then they can report a lower acceptance rate. Lower acceptance rate then translates into, uh, as part of the formula, a higher ranking. So that's, it's really marketing, I would say. But yes, they're looking for students who have taken the subject test, especially if you want to go to a top uh, tier school. So let's, so usually, let's say, if you were going to start test prep this summer, if you're a rising junior, um, and maybe senior also, right? There's seniors who still will maybe take the test again one or two times in the fall, um, especially this year, I guess, if your tests were all canceled in the spring. <laughs> yep. Um, is it? just normal test prep time for these kids? I mean, how are they even having in-person classes, tutoring? Like what, how should parents even start to approach? It's really hard when you've had kids who've been on Zoom for the past three months. Um, maybe their areas are just opening up and they can see their friends again. How do you kind of keep your kid in this 
you know, mode of prep? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing, the first thing is obviously securing a test date and test center, right? That's going to be the first thing because that's how you're going to create a timeline. So I would say the first thing to do, especially if you haven't been um, on track or kind of your timeline has obviously been skewed a little bit with test prep, I would say the first thing is really going to be securing a date because once you have a date, you can kind of work backwards and figure out how many hours of tutoring you might need on a weekly basis or in total, um, take a diagnostics test or a mock exam, um, which you can definitely find online and self-score if you want, or obviously any uh, tutor or tutoring center um, will be able to kind of um, email over a diagnostics test for you to take um, just to see where you're scoring and see how much prep or tutoring you might need. So first thing is right now, um, log on to College Board for the SAT, try to secure test dates. A lot of test centers have been sold out. Um, they started opening up seats for most students um, on June 3rd. And I think a few days before that, it was for students who had tests that were canceled. So they had priority registration, but test centers and test registration, essentially, uh, they're all open right now. So if there are any seats, uh, you should go get them sooner than later. That's that's a great idea. Um, and then let's say your whole idea this summer was we're going to tour colleges. <laughs> this is a great time to tour colleges. And not only are colleges saying like, no, you can't, but they're not planning tours for the fall either. I mean, they're not even allowing parent weekends. I, one of my daughter's schools just said only one parent can help with move in. So they're certainly not going to allow or a lot of the schools aren't going to allow just you know, big giant groups of people touring. How do you start to tour? I mean, it was one of the most fun things I did with my daughters. It's it's hard to imagine. Um, although one of them's going to a school that she's never seen because we didn't tour, and then they had no accepted student days. Um, so I should I should <laughs> add in that caveat. Um, <laughs> we're just crossing our fingers. But um, how do you plan? Like now that it's all virtual, what should you be looking for? Like how can you how for can you sure. make a real thing out of it? For sure. So, so if you're a rising senior and trying to kind of like narrow down your college list, um, I think honestly the best way to kind of get a sense of the school, the campus and everything is going to be through YouTube videos. Most students don't realize that they could actually Google what's it like at Columbia or what's it like at Yale or any of these schools. There will be students who create vlogs and maybe even weekly video updates of the, about their freshman experience at a certain school. So, so I'd say go on YouTube. That's a great resource for students. But if you want something a little bit more formal, uh, you can go to like Campus Real. Uh, Campus Real is an online college uh, video touring platform uh, where it's student-led tours um, that are just uploaded. And they pretty much have tours of every single college you can think of. All their video resources and everything is free. Oh, that's such a good idea. That's got to be so hard. I mean... Here in New Jersey, there was always this four-day, they call it teacher development weekend. It was October, early November, and it was a four-day weekend. And that's really when, like, parents and kids hit the road. That was, like, college visit weekend. And having visited so many colleges with my son, and I could see right away, the minute he stepped foot on campus, he could kind of say, yep, or nope, you know, whatever it was. Too many North Face jackets here. Nope. <laughs> and... <laughs> Uh, you know, I feel like getting a sense of the campus and seeing the kids and, and feeling the vibe is is so important. I, I don't know how you I mean, I'm, I'm sure you have to capture that from a video, but God, there's nothing like just, you know, the, getting that feel in person. 
Exactly. I, I think that's really, I mean, you just can't replace it, you know, but um, the next available and the next best option is really going to be utilizing these video resources that students create, because that's an authentic, more of an authentic experience, I would say, rather than looking at the videos and guided tours that the admissions offices put out, because they're only going to highlight the best of the best on those marketing materials. They're not going to talk about exactly what the food might be like um, in the dining halls um, and so forth. You know, it's really interesting you say that because I have twins. So when we would do a tour, we would purposefully choose two different tour guides um, because I will say this for parents who feel like they're really missing out on the tour. It is so dependent on your tour guide. And um, one of the schools my daughters thought, one of my daughters was really had her heart set on this one school. She had such a bad reaction to the school in person. <laughs> on paper, it was everything she wanted. When we had a tour, she was like, yuck. Like, she wanted nothing to do with this school. She hated, honestly, like, and it threw her because she really thought this was going to be it. Her twin sister, who was not considering that school, was like, oh, I really like it here. And literally, it was the tour guide. Like, one girl had, you know, this amazing tour guide who she vibed with and he was funny and who's ever. And my other daughter had a tour guide who was a graduating senior who hadn't gotten the job she wanted. She was, like, down and sort of bitter and whatever. And she just – and it was so interesting to me because I'm sure both of them would have loved going to that school if they, that's where they chose. Like, but that tour really colored things and – I, I don't know, like in the end, we looked at so many schools and I kind of wonder if it was worth it that we toured so many schools. I mean, especially, you know, because one of my daughters is going to a school she didn't tour, um, but was actually choosing between that and another school she didn't tour. Like, so all we did was watch the student made videos um, and it got gave us such a good sense of the school because they stopped their friends on the way, like random things happen on these videos. Um, they go yeah. into dorms and you sort of see in the background, are kids all talking and having fun? Are they all hanging out? Or is everyone like sort of sullen and whatever? You can really see a lot from those those homemade student videos. Exactly. And, and just to give you a personal experience, when I was applying to colleges myself, um, I, I grew up in Jersey and my guidance counselor told me um, that there was no way I was going to get into a top school like Yale. So he said, don't even apply. And I applied and I actually ended up being the only student to get in. But because he told me not to apply, I didn't put Yale on my uh, list of schools to visit. You know, that was not even something I was seriously considering. But then I ended up applying last minute. I didn't even visit Yale. And then once I got there, I met so many students who were kind of in the same boat. They haven't visited the school. They just watched a few videos. So so we're seeing a lot of students um, right now feeling like they have to visit all these schools if they can apply to it. Why would you apply to a school that you don't know anything about um, and you haven't visited in person? But in reality, a lot of students, even before this pandemic, um, were applying to schools that they didn't necessarily visit. Obviously, there are some schools that truly care about um, demonstrated interest. So that means if you visit the school, the chance of you getting accepted is going to be a little bit higher. So they actually, they actually factor in whether or not you visited or whether or not you've had an on-campus interview with an admissions officer. And some of those schools might be uh, Washington University, St. Louis. It might be Tufts, um, NYU. Some of these schools really care about demonstrated interest. And you can also talk about that on your college application. Maybe if you didn't know that NYU um, had many global campuses and you learned about that through your 
online tour, maybe you can kind of slide that into your supplemental essays, for example. So obviously that's not going to be the only thing you talk about, but there's subtle ways that you can kind of talk about your experience on visiting the campus, how you felt that you were at home there and so forth. So, so yeah. So without the real life tours, I assume those colleges are having a lot of leeway for demonstrated interest in terms of counting they can, that you visited the website, that you registered, you know, for the mailing, that you're following them on Instagram, whatever it is, they're going to have to have different metrics for that. Yeah. Or maybe just this upcoming year, they're going to potentially not really consider it. That's why it's really the best idea to kind of start this process as early as possible. Um, because especially also with the testing and everything, you never know what's going to happen. So you want to make sure that you create a timeline for yourself for at least the next 12 months and really understand exactly what you want to accomplish pretty much on a monthly basis and kind of also keep option B and option C in your back pocket. What do you think, you know, with, with the pandemic, I think a lot of parents who thought, sure, I don't care if my kid's a plane ride away, um, now might be thinking, no, like we just, the world's too uncertain. I want you within, you know, a three hour driving distance or whatever it is. Um, do you think parents should restrict lists like that? Or do you think they should still say, you know what, let's cast a wide net. Let's not worry about the pandemic so much. I mean, my the advice that I'm giving to my students um, I'm working with right now is to apply as really as many schools as you want that you feel comfortable applying to. Um, don't I, I wouldn't necessarily limit the number of schools or the schools just purely based on um, ge- geographical preferences, unless uh, it, completely because of the pandemic. Obviously, if you know you don't want to be in California and you don't want to apply to UC Berkeley or UCLA or Stanford because you don't want to go um, move to the West Coast if you grew up in New York City your entire life, then that's fine. But if you're scared um, of entering out and moving to the West Coast uh, for college, I would say, you know, this is not going to be permanent. Uh, things can change. I think kind of having an open mind is going to be the best option. Also, because if you're a rising senior right now, we don't know what's going to be happening completely with admissions. Right now, Princeton announced that they're removing um, early action. So what's that going to mean for all these students um, who are going to be evaluated all at the same time instead of two separate rounds? What's that going to mean for all those students um, who already got accepted into college and are now taking a gap year? And we'll be kind of replacing some of those spots that are typically for uh, the current class. So, so there's a lot of different um, uncertainties. So I would say don't limit yourself to just a few schools. Actually, this is the time to be applying to more schools than ever. And I think another thing to take into consideration, especially if you're looking at schools that are farther away, is how a lot of the schools are changing their schedules for the foreseeable future. Like so many of them are, they're cutting out the smaller breaks so that they can make the semester a little shorter so the kids aren't going back and forth for long weekends. Like even if it's a farther school, you might not be having, you know, two or three trips back a semester. Um, I know that some schools, like once the kids come back from Thanksgiving, they're done. Yeah, both my daughter's schools. But that might not hold the following. That might not hold in 2021. Um, but maybe it'll be safer to travel then. Right. Um, so it's an it's a weird. I mean, do you think parents should be looking at how schools are handling the pandemic right now? I mean, I know when my daughters were making a decision um, on where to go, it was right in the middle, <laughs> right? The pandemic, the sort of everything shut down right when college acceptances came out. Um, and 
I did look at how colleges were communicating with their students, how they handled shipping them out, if they shipped them their stuff, like how they handled the closing down, how they, not so much as how they made the move to remote, because I feel like that's that was really tough, but more about the communication and how parents or students sort of felt taken care of or respected um, and the schools that really just didn't. Do you think parents should look at that? I think so, but but I feel like a lot of these schools, um, I mean, are going to be online anyway this fall. I really don't feel like there's going to be any school that really holds in-person classes, um, only because even with social distancing and everything, it's not just the classrooms you have to consider, right? You also have to consider the dining halls. You have to consider the common spaces, uh, dorm rooms, um, a lot of... Um, bathrooms are shared among the with the entire floor with maybe 15 students how is that how are you going to be uh create a, create a more socially distance um strategy or approach to that um so it's not just the classrooms that these schools have to think about so so yeah and also moving in everyone typically moves in on the same date so are you going to break move-in dates um and kind of stagger them across three weeks is that even a good idea um so I feel like a lot of these schools are going to be online anyway this fall. They're just not announcing it because I truly think uh, one of the reasons why they're not announcing is because they want students to register uh, and enroll in classes first. And then they'll go ahead and say, you know what, we're going to actually hold all these classes online. But I think they want students to register for classes first and not worry about that. You know, that's a good, This and this may be off topic with what we're talking about, but I feel like if I were the parent of someone going into a freshman year and they chose a school based on, (laughs) you choose a school based on like if your kid really likes football or sports, you know, and wants that big rah-rah spirit or just the feel of being on campus and all of those extracurricular activities. And you're losing all of that because you're just home in your parents' house doing online classes. I mean, do you even spend the money and, 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 and go, or do you defer, or do you go to community college and get the requirements done? I just feel like, in so many ways, Rebecca, I don't know how you how you even are figuring it out because, you know, you choose a college based on the experience. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's partly that both of their schools, Vanderbilt and Northwestern, have incredible medical centers, um, and Vanderbilt also has incredible nursing schools. So, like, their plan for return, even if the classes end up being a lot online, um, it's all, I think I told you that, but the freshmen are moving in, and they're all in singles, and everyone else is booted off campus, essentially, um, and move-in's going to be over five days, and... Um, I mean, their plan is just to test. They're testing the kids every week um, and they'll isolate them. And my feeling as a parent really is this could be the next two or three years. I really don't believe it's just going to be a year. And I don't want my kids to put their life on hold for some idealized version of college. Um, And they are so eager to start. And I think they're going to figure it out as it goes along. And I'm fully prepared for people to be getting sick on campus. And so are they. Like, I feel like the schools are fully prepared for that. So that was more my concern is what happens if they get sick. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm just more of a optimistic realist. (laughs) Like, I'm not a big believer in the gap year um, in general. And I think it happened. The gap year is much more of a East Coast, especially private school thing. Um, Yeah. And I, so I think in the bubble in New York, you start hearing about all these kids taking a gap year, but in reality, it's a really tiny percentage. Um, it just 
You just want your kids out of the house. Come on. I also, I would rather them be living on campus taking classes remotely than living in my house. I would. I'd rather yeah. them just at least get there. And if everyone's in a single, then it doesn't feel weird. You're not like the kid in a single and everyone else is in a double or triple. Like you're all in a single. You all have your doors open. Um, I hated my roommates freshman year. I don't, I don't glorify the roommate experience. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, that's where we're at. So we'll see. I'm hoping they actually go plan or no plan. I, I won't believe it till they're there and we'll see. I don't know, Christopher, do you think I'm crazy? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I think, I think, um, about 75% of our students opted to take a gap year. Um, cause they're one of the reasons, um, it's because you're going to meet people, you're going there, not just for the academics, but to really also socialize, um, network, um, make friends. There's a lot of other things, obviously, uh, that comes with the college experience. And if you're at home sitting in your kitchen on Zoom for a three-hour lecture, you know, that's not really why you're paying seventy or $80,000 for college, you know, with, with all the textbooks and everything else, like, it's a lot of money. So it's a huge investment. And people, a lot of parents don't want to pay that if their child's going to be at home on Zoom a few hours a week. You know, they want students to actually get that experience. And a lot of my students wanted that experience. So a lot of them end up taking gap years that were approved um, by these colleges. So, so yeah, I mean, we have some students who say, you know what, it doesn't really matter whether or not um, I have to take classes online. I just want to move on and, uh, and start college so that I can kind of get an internship next summer and get into the real world as soon as possible. We have some students like that. So those students obviously did not take a gap year, but the vast majority of my students did take a gap year because they did work this hard to get the more traditional college experience. It's hard. I mean, this is a totally different topic, but finding a gap year experience isn't easy either. Yep. <laughs> so, that's, so that's another thing because typically... So, it's, it's, so yeah. So a lot of those kids might be sitting at home on Zoom doing a gap year on Zoom. <laughs> exactly. Because typically gap years, you're, you're traveling. You're not, I mean, you're not going to be traveling anytime soon. So um, especially to a foreign country, um, if you're going to be taking a gap year. So or a lot of internships at companies have also all been canceled. So no matter what it's going to look like, probably their gap year is going to be on Zoom anyway. But once the following year comes along, um, you're going to be starting most likely in person in the fall, um, moving into your dorm room uh, and have a more of a traditional uh, freshman year. Right. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I do think I, I feel for rising seniors because I do think they'll be a bigger than usual amount of kids um, who take a gap year and will we'll be filling those spots in the freshman classes the next year already. So it'll be interesting. I don't know if colleges will release those numbers, but if they're already starting with, you know, 10% of their class seats taken, it, it does substantially change things. Exactly. Yeah, and, and that's why, like, typically when students are applying to colleges, um, the students I work with apply to about 15 to 18 schools, um, which is a lot. But they're applying to about three safety schools, five match schools, and then the remainder of the schools are all reach schools. So we're, we're seeing a lot of students who are already preparing for this process who are plan on applying to 18 plus schools only because there's just so much uncertainty around how many spots have already been filled from those students who are taking gap years. Right. And how, you know, we use those words a lot, sort of safety, match, reach, or so, I don't know, there's all, all different terms mm -hmm. for it because there are people who don't like safety, so they call them what, likely, whatever they do. Mm -hmm. um, when I have a lot of parents I know who don't even know how you determine that. You know, I think there are a lot of kids with very high GPAs, um, you know, and a lot of kids with 
good, really good scores. And sometimes what's a good score is different depending on where you live. Um, But how do people even create that list that's realistic and now probably more important than ever (laughs) to have a range of those schools? For sure. So I think really with the students I'm working with, they're all trying to get into top 20 schools or so, 25 schools, top 25 schools. Um, And I would say all of these top tier schools are going to have to be on your list of reaches or dream schools, however you want to um, categorize it. Only because it's not because the student is not qualified. The student can have a perfect GPA, perfect test scores, amazing extracurricular activities and letters of recommendation, all of that. And it'll still have to be considered a reach school only because there's just so much competition. It's not because a student wasn't necessarily quote unquote good enough or anything like that, but only because there's just so many students who are applying. If a school like Harvard or MIT or any of these top schools want to fill an entire class with students with perfect GPAs and test scores, they could fill the entire class like four or five times over, you know, but they're not doing that. They're looking for interesting students. So I would say, depending on who the admissions officer is and what they're looking for to build that well-rounded class, um, you just don't know what's going to be happening. So you do want to consider what the acceptance rate looks like, and then that's how you're going to be able to really manage where you're going to categorize and how you're going to categorize your list of schools. So I have one last question for you, which is something I've heard a lot from my friends who have kids one year younger, which is should they write about their COVID-19 experience in their common app? Like, is this now what they, are schools going to ask about it? Or, because I've heard from all these poor kids who now feel like they didn't volunteer, they didn't do enough, they should have started a food drive. Like, you know, they get into this mania of like that they didn't use their quarantine well. Um, these poor kids, <laughs> what should they do? <laughs> so, so the common app announced um, that they're actually going to have a separate section. We can talk about COVID. Um, and how it has an imp- how it had an impact on you or your family, um, whether um, you got sick or whether it canceled certain types of activities that you were looking forward to. And there's also going to be a section that's created for the school to talk about what has changed. The grading schedules change from um, letter grades to pass fail or credit no credit. So there will be a section dedicated to COVID on that. So I would say for the main personal statement. Students should focus on writing about um, what makes them so special and really writing more of a traditional, I would say, college essay. Don't talk about COVID in your main essay. Oh, that's good advice, because I think that's everyone's inclination, right? It's like the, all these poor kids were like, nothing's ever happened to me. And they're like, now something did. And then they don't, <laughs> they don't yep. feel like they want to write about it. No, that's all really good advice. So, like, what is your kind of basic bottom line, you know, thing for students this summer that, you know, they're going to another summer of uncertainty. They don't know what their fall looks like for high school. What would be the kind of one thing that you think they should take away that they should use to prepare for college admissions? Yeah. So I think really for the uh, rising sophomores and juniors, really taking advantage of this summer is going to be really important. Colleges in two years or so, in three years, are still going to be asking how you've really utilize this time in quarantine at home because they know that students' uh, summer programs and internships, research opportunities have all been canceled. So they're going to be wondering what you did. And if you just talk about how you 
played video games or watch Netflix, that's not going to be the best response. <laughs> so you do want to prepare for that. Also start preparing for your exams because you also don't know what's going to be happening in the future in terms of maybe a second wave um, of COVID. So, you, you, so because there's just so much uncertainty, I think really taking this time, prepare for the future, create a timeline and make sure you write out every objective and every goal you want to meet and kind of start working on those this summer is going to be most important. And if you don't know what extracurriculars to do, think about how you could potentially have an impact in your community. We had students who were running a um, school newspaper or writing for a school newspaper, and they created a digital version of their newspaper. So there's a lot of different things students can do to take initiative during this time, just because it's so unstructured and things like this pretty much never happen. Students are pretty much booked back to back with different extracurriculars, different summer programs, SAT tutors. But right now, because there's so much uncertainty, I think kind of taking a step back, planning out what you want to do, and then being a little bit more creative this summer, I think is the best thing students can be doing to maximize their time. That is great advice. Thank you so much for joining us today. I think we're going to put links to command education and all the other things, kind of resources, things we talked about. And this is really helpful. I think, you know, it's it's another unknown, but it doesn't mean it has to be a mess, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So thank you so much for helping us get parents and students sort of back in their in their mindset and, and feel good about the college admissions process in the midst of all this. Of course, of course. And then also one other thing is that if you do, um, if you want like ideas in terms of what your students can be doing, I actually put up a blog post. So that's another thing that um, I'll send over to you so you can link. But there's a blog post of all these different extracurriculars, ideas, ways you can volunteer remotely at home. Um, we have a resource, we have a, a, a link to all these resources that I'll send over so that your um, viewers can um, have access to all of that as well. Oh, perfect. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you. We'll be right back with our Bites of the Week. We are back with our Bites of the Week. Amy, what do you have? So I don't even know if I've talked about homeschooling on the podcast. In five years, I'm sure I have. And let's just say that it's not for me. Um, just, you know, personally, I don't have the patience or the interest. Um, and what we're doing now, like what parents have had to do because of the lockdown and all the schools closing down, that's not homeschooling. And I really wish people would stop calling it that. But I do think that with the uncertainty of next year, a lot of people who hadn't considered it are going to be seriously considering it. And so this was a really good time for a friend of ours, a friend of mine, Rebecca's at least, I don't know if you know her, Andrea, um, Issa Moss. She's a writer. No, I don't she's, know her. Oh, she's, she's fantastic. You would love her. She's one of my favorite people. And she's super smart. And last year, she decided to start homeschooling her son. And one of the things that she found was that it was just it was difficult to get started. Like she just needed like, you know, how do I tell his school and the Department of Education that he's not going to be in school anymore? You know, what what are my state's regulations? Those kinds of things. And so she put together something called the homeschool starter set. This is not like a whole, you know, A to Z, how to homeschool your kid. This is how to get started. It's the essential things that you need. And um, 
It's got like the regulations for the homeschool laws in your state, what your rights are, um, you know, what you have to tell their school. How do you find a curriculum? Because, you know, it's not like you have to make all this stuff up. There are curricula online. Um, you know, what documents do I need? She put all of that stuff into a starter set. And the best part is this isn't one of those things where you click over and she's charging $500. Right now, you can get this for $14.95. So, you know, even if you don't know what you're doing and you just want to check it out, you can see what you would need. The uh, I think the, the price it'll eventually go to is a whopping $19.95. So if you wait, you're still not going to be paying hundreds of dollars. But this is just, if you're interested in it, it's a really good way to cut out all of that initial Googling and trying to, to get your feet under you and figure out what's going on. It's awesome. So how many people do you think are actually sitting home with their kids having tried to help them with their schoolwork thinking, maybe I'll homeschool my kid next year? Well, I mean, I think I think it's interesting, but I'm just laughing, thinking, oh, I don't know how many people are going to want to do that. No, listen, my daughter needs to get back to a school like I'm not one of those people. But there are a lot of people who simply for safety reasons, they don't want their kid in school. They don't you know, they're they don't get that. They don't see that they have any other option. It's not, you know, the, the ones who really, you know, have full time jobs and hated homeschooling their kids. They're probably not the ones, but it's the ones who are like. I am not letting my kids step back into a school building until this is over. You know, maybe it's for those parents. I think there are also a lot of parents I know here in New York where there is a very high probability that they're not going back to school in the fall to a building um, who are thinking about putting together maybe three or four kids mm. um, and making like a homeschool pod because their experience, that would be good. yeah, their experience of homeschool. Oh, not homeschool, but remote school, I should say. Yes, was terrible. much better name. Um, and where homeschool, you get to direct what your child learns. They actually, you know, when you're remote school, it's up. It's really up to your school what they're doing. And I think that's almost what parents found harder mm-hmm. was that some schools did like maybe an hour live. I mean, my sister who was a first grader, like they had a great art teacher. Maybe they did circle time in the morning and then the whole rest of the day was nothing. It would almost have been easier for her to have a curriculum Mm-hmm. That she could say, okay, we're going to cover this in two hours, maybe between her and her husband, they could figure it out. But it was much harder to try to get the remote school stuff done and figure out what to do. <laughs> and <laughs> it was just hard. And especially if your child is older, and this isn't about like having to lead them through everything and, and you know, mm-hmm. you know, make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do. If this is just about okay, my 15-year-old needs to know what they need to get done in order to keep learning, you know, maybe that's a better option than if your kid is, you know, six. I don't know. Right. I also had friends who realized that their kids really hated school. Like, I know that sounds weird, but I had friends, particularly with uh, middle schoolers, who realized their kids were actually a lot happier Hmm. um, doing remote school. They, They weren't they didn't like the social cliques. They were really bored in class. Um, a lot of girls who just felt like, you know, they, they didn't get to say anything. Boys interrupted all the time. So just, there were a lot of kids who all of a sudden were like, oh, I kind of like this. And so I think for those parents, too, they might have realized that their kids have a different learning style that might be suited to homeschool if they're able to then do that. Mm. I don't know. It's all it's all interesting what this has revealed. Yeah, <laughs> so. but so we will um we'll put a link of course, but it's homeschoolset.com. Cool. All right, Andrea, what do you have? 
Well, a lot of people have been complaining to me like, oh my God, school's now over. There's no camp. I don't know what to do with my kids. In fact, one friend told me yesterday that she was raising butterflies with her daughter. So it was like a 20 minute activity. Yep. They were raising butterflies. They finally hatched. And unfortunately, one of them died somewhere in the house. So she's kind of creeped out about it. But tomorrow they set them free and she's like, that's 20 minutes. But, you know, now what am I going to do? So I found this article about YouTube kids hosting summer camp. It's called Camp YouTube. It's an article on Engadget that we'll link to. But basically what they're doing is from now through July 5th, they're basically, um, they've come up with like 1,200 hours of scheduled programming. So DIY projects, virtual field trips. It's broken down into categories like um, STEM. So if if your kids are into STEM, it's arts, sports, adventure. So if you've got a teenager, you can do videos from like Solar System 101 or everything you need to start programming. And... Other kids can do how to make slime at home. Maybe my butterfly friend should do that one. (laughs) (laughs) So there's lots of videos and activities. And I think it's really cool that they've done this. I went to it. You have to be a member of YouTube Kids. So I don't know if that's a a fee or not, or if you just sign your kid up for YouTube Kids. But you can go to the Camp YouTube website for more information. And honestly, I kind of want to do some of these. (laughs) That's the problem whenever I start looking, like I remember we did one about um, like winter activities, I think a couple years ago. And I just wanted to do them all like my kids had no interest because it was mostly for younger kids. But I was like, I want to build a backyard ice volcano. I want to do all this stuff. That's what always happens. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, I want to go I want to go take a how to program class, you know. Anyway, check it out. Uh, We'll post the Engadget story and Camp YouTube. And uh, it's through July 5th. So there you go. Two weeks. Cool. All right. I have two this week. Um, The first one I've said before, but it was a few years ago, I think. So I'm going to just say it again because it's still my favorite thing. Buy it for a high school freshman um, or any year of high school. But the earlier they read it, the better. It's called Where You Go Is Not Who You'll Be, An Antidote to the College Admissions Mania. And it's by Frank Bruni, the New York Times columnist. This is like his, he and Malcolm Gladwell. This is all they do is stand on the mountaintop and yell this. But um, (laughs) (laughs) but it is an amazing book. Um, it's really about the sort of fallacy that you have to be in only these top 15 or 20 schools and this and that. And it's really about that college is what you're going to make of it and that all these schools have incredible opportunities. And it's about your relationships you make with professors and the people you meet and the internships you do and the clubs you join. And that's going to be wherever you go. Um, so it's fantastic. And he's also big on like, go who, with who gives you money. Um, He went to UNC over Yale because UNC gave him all the money and Yale gave him none. So um, it's it's great. Highly recommend. My other bite is similar. It is an article that came out this week in Forbes uh, called The Higher Education Experience Coming Fall 2020 is What You Make of It. And it's a fantastic article. Everyone I've shared it with is like, oh, thank you. And it's all about kind of why your kids shouldn't take a gap year, essentially, um, no matter what year they're in. But about this is a new normal. And one of the things this 
right now can teach us is that you have to pivot, that you have life throw very unexpected things at you. And then if you're constantly waiting for a normal, you're never going to live your life. And not just for the pandemic, but for anything, you know, maybe 9-11 would happen, maybe Hurricane Sandy, maybe a tornado, like you have to be adaptable and not just avoid um, and so, you know, she talks about technology. She talks about that. What's that's going to use? She talks about flexibility. But she said, we are building tomorrow's leaders. And guess what? Like how we respond to this is part of how we're teaching them to lead in the future. And it's a really it's just a really good article and about embracing where we are and not sitting on the sidelines waiting for normalcy. And I highly recommend it if you or just anxious about your kid going back to school, but it really applies to everything going on right now that we want, we want every, everyone keeps saying we want to return to normal. And her point is, this is the new normal. Like mm. now we have to live our life in this and not be sidelined. So it's great. That is a bitter pill to swallow for the kids. You know, this, this part of their life is so short. It definitely is. But that's also the point is that why would you put on hold your life that's so short, <laughs> do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. like you're going to have so many experiences in your life and just because it doesn't look like what you thought it was going to look like doesn't mean it can't also be great. That was, And also, really I think the point of the new normal, I mean, everyone keeps saying, when are we just going to go back to normal? And we're never going back to normal. And I think no. that a lot of people are really starting to come to the understanding and the reality that that's not happening. It's going to go forward and there's going to be a new normal and it may take a while to shake out, but we're not going back. Oh, on on Facebook, Rebecca shared an article that was like personally devastating to me about how um, those continental breakfasts and those serve yourself breakfasts in hotels <laughs> are done. Yeah, yeah, like breakfast, like those, those free, you know, like we choose when we're traveling and we're driving somewhere, we choose the hotel based on what kind of breakfast we're yes. going to be able to wander down and 100%. grab. And then you yeah. can take an apple and a banana and a yogurt in yep. your bag yeah, for the, the road. waffle machine. Come on, who doesn't love the waffle maker at wherever it is, Doubletree or Homewood, like one of the, like, Hilton. of course. It's a Hilton. Yeah, it's one of the Hiltons. Like you, you want the waffle maker. You're not getting a waffle maker anymore. Nope. Um, but that's okay, you know, like it might come back eventually. But then part of me also thinks, wow, we we're really gross. Like, why, <laughs> why, why were we all so gross and touching everything communally? And hello, like, my hand towel pose. I know. Like, how did we not all get so sick all the time? And the truth is, on college campuses, kids get sick all the time. Mm-hmm. So maybe all this mask wearing and hand washing and social distancing will also lead to like kids having a healthier overall year. And then maybe that means they can actually do more <laughs> like later on or within those, you know, parameters, who knows, but you know, it's, it's interesting to see that you just, if you keep telling your kid, Oh, it'll be normal eventually. Oh, if you wait, it'll get to this. Then you're just like, you're not helping basically. It's not, it's not. Yeah. All right. Well, that is our show for today. We will have links to everything we talked about on the show on our show page at parentingbites.com. Also at facebook.com slash parentingbites. You can leave us messages. You can share our posts. You can leave us comments. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share from wherever you're listening to us right now. And until next week, happy parenting. Bye. Bye. 
Hey, this is our Parenting Bites disclaimer. Everything we talk about on the show is our own opinion. Any products we recommend, it's our own personal recommendation for entertainment purposes only. If you buy something through our affiliate links or you just happen to buy or see or read or watch something that we've recommended, it's at your own risk.